0: So, our setting for this weekend is uh, in our coffee shop, and uh, the reason I'm telling you that is uh, because on Monday, we're going to open it up, so to speak, to our community once again. This has become quite a gathering place for our community. Just a few weeks ago, I was in the plaza area that you see behind me, and uh, a neighbor from our community was running through with his dogs, and uh, I was out there, and he stopped me, and he says, are you part of the church? I said, yeah, hang out here, yeah. So I want you to know I don't come to this church, but that coffee shop is a place that I hang out in. For us in our community, it feels kind of like uh, cheers or central perks. It's just a place of gathering for our community. And I'm so glad we have it in our community. And we've missed that the last several weeks as we've not been able to be open, but Monday we're gonna again open up and kind of within the uh, the boundaries that we we live by under this current order that we have. But we're excited to again have that space open. Uh, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I know you're watching because this is what you do. So happy Mom's Day to you. Uh, we have this tradition at Copper Hills that every Mother's Day uh, for the last 22 years, we've had somebody from within our church family, a mom, tell us a bit of her story and give encouragement and point to Jesus and how Jesus is working in her life. And so we're going to do that again this weekend. So I want to introduce Hillary Peel. To you, this is Hillary. Thank you, Hillary, for being here with us. So, uh, to start with, uh, just tell us a little bit about you, your family. Introduce yourself to to our church family.
1: Yeah, well, um, I have been married to my husband Justin for a little over twelve years, and uh, we have three very energetic and wonderful boys. Uh, if you've been around campus when we were able to gather. You've probably seen them running around the courtyard and I apologize if they've actually run into you, um, but they're amazing. They're seven, five, and three. Um, and my husband is an airline pilot. So a lot of times it's me uh, at home with the boys. Um, and then I work as a communications director for a local nonprofit called The Hope Effect. And then actually I recently came on board here with Copper Hills to help with communications. So it's been uh, it's been a great couple months being a part of this team as well.
0: It is great to have you here. You've been so helpful. It's interesting how you step into the First day of the job and a global pandemic breaks out.
1: You know, right? it's nothing like the first week on the job to have yeah. a challenge like that. So, Thanks
0: for your help with that. It's been really, it's been really appreciated. So uh, one husband and three sons. That's a good combination. Yes. That's, lots that's of boys, How lots do boys. you keep balance and all of that? Because with this kind of quarantine, you've become a teacher and a fitness instructor and a cook <laughs> and all those other roles that you have as well. How do you keep balance with Justin traveling half the time and tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I think um, balance is a great word. It's definitely a balancing act. And sometimes you just have to understand that certain things are not gonna get done and you have to focus your priorities. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm not very put together. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to kind of get dressed and wear pants with a, a non-elastic waistband. This is a big deal. Um, you know, with working and then having the, the three boys, um, a lot of times it's, it's hard work, but it's super rewarding. Um, maybe not very glamorous though. Um, I can think of actually one, one example just a couple of months ago where I actually had an occasion to get dressed up. My, uh, nonprofit was doing a fundraiser in the evening. So I went and dropped off my littlest guy at daycare uh, in my typical mom uniform, yoga pants and a hoodie and a messy bun under a baseball hat. Uh, And I let the teacher know, hey, I'm going to be picking up Nolan a little bit early today to take him to the babysitters because I have this event. Uh, And she said, okay. So then fast forward to the afternoon when I went to get him. And I go into his classroom and I'm talking to the teacher and I'm gathering up my son's things. And after about a minute of conversation, she stops me and she goes, now, who are you here to pick up? And I wasn't fully comprehending what she was asking, so I just said, oh, I'm here to get Nolan. And she kind of looked at me in silence for another second, and she said, I'm sorry, have we met? And I said, yes, Uh, yes, we've met every day for the last three months, and actually talked to you for about 10 minutes this morning, but I guess I just looked really gross. (laughs) And so uh, I realized, you know, two things in that moment. Number one, my husband, who is a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, is also a big liar because he tells me every day, oh, you look beautiful. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. You know, you look just as beautiful in sweats uh, and clearly in reality, I'm, I'm completely unrecognizable. Um, and then the other thing is just this is the stage of life that I'm in. You know, you just kind of have to embrace it and uh, enjoy the yoga pants and, and that's okay because this is just where I'm at.
0: He's a good guy. He is. He really, he's a good he's guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> yes, he is. Okay, so. Uh, I know a fun fact about you that you probably wouldn't tell anybody about unless you were asked about it, but uh, you were Miss Arizona.
1: Tell us about that. so that was pre uh, yoga pants and messy bun. Uh, and I don't mention it because yeah, like you said, it was many years ago and uh, many kids ago as well, but, um, it was fun. I had the opportunity to, to compete in the Miss America pageant and um, really just travel the state and the country actually, and just uh, meet some incredible people. And, um, it was a long time ago. It's, you know, not as big of a part of my life anymore. So I'm just kind of in a different phase of life, but it does play a role uh, in the story that I'm going to share with you today. So, yeah, so it did feel appropriate to bring up today. Yeah.
0: So let's, that's why I wanted you to come because, uh, You have a a really remarkable story, and I'd love for you to the degree that you want to share a little bit of that with us. I know a part of it is deeply personal, and uh, it's tragic. It's graphic in one sense. Uh, So to the degree that you feel safe to to share that, tell us a little bit of the story of how this uh, wonderful life of yours has unfolded.
1: Yeah, well, again, thanks for for asking me to share it. And just to back up a little bit um, to give you a sense of kind of my upbringing and my childhood. Um, I was born and raised in a pretty typical household. Um, grew up in a family with two parents and an older sister and um, grew up in a Christian household. You know, went to church every Sunday and formed my relationship with Jesus pretty early on. Um, and nothing really remarkable about my childhood. You know, I was kind of the goody two-shoes. Um, always got straight A's in school, participated in a lot of sports and clubs and activities and um, just kind of had your traditional great childhood, I would say. Um, and as I started to get older and going to high school, I started kind of to map out a plan for my life, right? Um, and I decided, hey, after I graduate high school, I'm going to go to ASU, Arizona State, and I'm going to major in journalism, um, and I'm going to kind of focus on communications and, you know, be a reporter, and I'm going to travel the world, and it's going to be great. So, uh, my first year at ASU, everything was going according to plan. Um, I moved into an apartment actually with my older sister, so it was kind of my first little taste of freedom. Uh, and I was doing well in school and um, got a first, you know, my first job at a radio station. And so I kind of felt like, okay, I'm doing doing a little bit, you know, okay with this independence thing. Um, and at that time, that's when I started competing in pageants. So it was kind of a fun, just extracurricular hobby. Uh, Then my sophomore year, more of the same, you know, everything is going well and I'm still enjoying school, still working. And uh, it was in the fall of my sophomore year that I was preparing to compete in a local pageant that would qualify me for the title, to compete for the title of Miss Arizona. Um, And I just kind of felt like everything was going according to plan Um, until one night that fall when my entire world was turned upside down. Um, I came home from a night class at ASU and I went to the gym at my apartment complex. Um, went back to my apartment and got into the shower. And when I got out of the shower, uh, a man had broken into my apartment, and he was waiting for me in the hallway. Uh, I opened the door to the hallway, and he surprised me. He threw a towel over my head so I couldn't see his face. And he held the knife to my throat and forced me back into my bedroom, and he raped me. And I can easily say that was... The most terrifying experience of my entire life. Um, I tried to fight, I tried to get away, and each time he threatened me again. Um, And I really didn't know in that moment, am I going to live? Am I going to die? Will I ever see my family again? Um, I I had two roommates at the time. Um, I had moved into a different apartment with two friends from high school, and neither of them were home when the man broke in, Uh, but one of them came home during the attack, um, and he threatened her as well if I tried to scream or get help. Um, Thankfully after he was done he fled the apartment and um, without hurting me any further and uh, I immediately ran out to tell my roommate what had happened and she got on the phone and called 911 and I got on my cell phone and uh, called my parents and the rest of the night, you know, I, I wish I could say it was a blur, but I remember it in uh, vivid detail, you know, talking to the detectives and talking to the police officers, taking an ambulance to the hospital, getting, you know, getting evaluated. Um, and it was just, just the most horrific night of my life.
0: Uh, how, like the aftermath of that, the immediate days and weeks following that, like, how do, how do you handle it? How do you deal with the the trauma and no doubt the questioning and and all that. what's the aftermath immediately following?
1: I was devastated. I mean, my entire, my entire world was rocked. Um, You know, you always think things like that don't happen to people like me. Um, And that, you know, that was my thought is I was, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was following my plan. I was in my apartment with the doors and windows locked and that's supposed to be your safe space. And I thought, how could this happen? How could this happen to me? And then you know you're just trying to deal with all these emotions and all these feelings that hit you all at once, and then they continue for a long period of time. You know, the, the first thing was kind of this denial. Like I wanted to, I wanted to just pretend that it didn't happen, you know, and wanted to believe that I had just made the whole thing up. Um, and then the anger. You know, the anger that this man thought that it was okay to do something like this, to just come into my life and um, destroy it, and then just walk away. Without a care in the world, you know, I was so angry at this faceless man because I never saw his face. And then there was the just the sadness and the the loneliness, you know, feeling like nobody understood what I was going through, nobody knew what I was feeling, um, just feeling very alone. And I'd always considered myself kind of a happy, upbeat person, so it was really it was it was difficult to just feel so lonely and and so isolated. Um, that's another thing, the isolation. You know, a lot of times when something like this happens people don't know what to say. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to go up to somebody and, and have a conversation when you know that something like this has happened. And so I felt like a lot of the friendships and the relationships that I had made throughout the course of my life, I could just see them kind of falling away. And so it was just, it was just really difficult to, to deal with all of those emotions. And, you know, I kept trying to kind of go on with my life, but at the same time, I felt like the world was moving on without me
0: you mentioned uh, I'm thinking as you say that you, you mentioned early on that you grew up in a family of faith, but when something like that happens, faith can run out pretty quickly in that it doesn't answer like why it would happen and you know what role if anything like God could have played in it might have played in that how did how does faith intersect that for you in real kinds of terms when there may not even be answers for it
1: yeah I I don't know how I would have gotten through this without my faith, um, because even, even though I had that as the foundation, it was still extremely difficult. Um, but somehow I knew, I knew in that moment that I had a choice. You know, It would have been really easy to be mad at God and say, why God, why did this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? And it would have been really easy to turn my back on him. But honestly, I felt like the only thing I could do at that moment was cling to him and cling to Jesus because Jesus was the only thing I had left. Um, and so I, I made that choice and I, I just continued to just dive into my faith. And as I did, I started to realize some things that, that God had been with me all along throughout this event and that God would still be with me in the future. And, and I say that because looking back in hindsight, I was able to kind of identify some places where God showed up that in the moment as I was living it, I didn't even realize it. Like in, in college before the attack, um, I'll admit, I mean, Even though I grew up in a Christian home, typical college kid, um, I wasn't good about reading the Word. You know, I wasn't really into my Bible. And all of a sudden, um, I just started feeling that urge. I just started feeling the urge to read and to draw close to Him. And so I was diving into the Word every night, um, listening to Christian music in the car. And I know that sounds like such a small thing, but it just kind of keeps your mind focused in that right place. Um, And then I'd never really found a church um, over in Tempe when I was going to ASU, I never really found a church that I had had considered my church home, and so I started driving back uh, to attend church with my family, an hour away. Um, and looking back on it, I really believe that that God was preparing me for what was going to come. I think that He was telling me, "Hillary, you need to draw near to me because you are going to need this foundation of faith, and you are going to need me when this happens. So, so draw close to me." And then, even during the attack. Um, I know that he was with me, and I know that might sound odd because, as I mentioned, I was, I was terrified, um, but in the middle of the attack, I had this thought, and I know that this wasn't a thought that I would normally have because I thought, Hillary, you need to forgive this man, and I can only describe that as a God thought because um, I, even in my own life currently, I don't have the, the thought, oh, you need to forgive this person when they did something wrong to you, but I knew I knew in that moment that I had to forgive him. And then also, you know, as, as I was in the midst of the attack and wondering if I was going to survive, I was scared, of course, um, but I also felt an overwhelming sense of peace, because I knew that even if I didn't make it out, that I was going to be with Jesus. And oh my gosh, the sense of, of peace and security that that gave me was just incredible. And then after the attack, um, I know that the Lord was with me as well, because as I was processing a lot of those emotions, I can remember one specific time where I was alone in my room, and I can't even really say that I was praying. I was just kind of having a pity party and thinking, again, I'm so alone. Nobody was there with me. Nobody can understand. Nobody knows what I'm feeling because nobody was there. And this is the closest thing that I have felt to or heard an audible voice from God, but I just felt so clearly I know what you're feeling because I was there with you, and in the middle of my, you know, my pity party and my tears, the biggest smile just came over my face because in that moment I knew, I knew without a shadow of the doubt that the Lord was with me, and He would always be with me, no matter what.
0: Okay, uh, I'm kind of stuck on the forgiveness thing that you you said. How does that happen? Does that just all at once? It's it's, it's forgiven and you just. <laughs> You can't forget the thing, yeah, Right. like it, it comes back, I'm, I'm sure. How do you get to that forgiveness place?
1: Yeah, I would say um, it's absolutely not kind of a one and done thing. You know, I had that thought, but it was a struggle. And, and I'll be honest, there are times when it still is a struggle. Um, my attacker was never caught. And so I still don't really have a face or a name. Um, I don't have any justice. You know, it just kind of feels unresolved. Um, but I've had to learn how to forgive, even though there've been no, there's been no justice, there's been no consequence, um, there's been no opportunity to interact with him. And that's where I really have to rely on Jesus, because Jesus says, forgive as I forgave you. And people often ask me, you know, well, does that mean you don't want him to go to jail? You know, do you think that he, he should just kind of go free? And I said, absolutely not. Um... Forgiving is not the same as forgetting, and forgiving doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to your actions. Um, but if I had the opportunity to speak to him and to address him directly, I would. I would want him to know that I forgive him. Because what if, what if I'm the only interaction that he has with a follower of Christ? And what if I approach him with anger and hatred and bitterness, and that's that's what he sees of Jesus? That's not what I would want. I would want him to see the grace and the forgiveness and the love. And so I think there's definitely, you know, there's a balance. There's, there's forgiving somebody, but then there's also wanting him to pay the price for, for what he did. Um, but it is a struggle. You know, I'm not going to say that it's easy. Um, and it, you know, it happened 15 years ago. And, and I still have moments where I'm still angry. Um, but I know that I have to lean on Jesus for that.
0: You know, it's not uncommon for any of us to ask the why question of of God, right? And I'm sure that there have been your moments where you've done that as well. And oftentimes you'll hear the the answer to that. Well, God has an ultimate purpose to it, and I don't need to know the purpose. And there's some truth to that as well. But it seems to me, if I'm right, um, sometimes God's purpose isn't in getting an answer to why that happened, but there are just lessons through the course of it that we learn that, I don't know if he wants to teach us those lessons or it's just something that we learn as we go. What would you say you've learned about his character, about who he is or how this has impacted your journey with him because of the kind of the restful faith in him?
1: Yeah, well, I'd say first and foremost, you, you can't do life without him. You know, I, I loved what we were talking about just last week where you have to invite Jesus to be a part of your life intentionally every single day because you don't know what life is going to bring, but it's certainly better when you're living it with him. And I've just learned he's so, he's so loving. He will never abandon you and he will never, ever let you down. Um, And then you kind of talked about he has a purpose. You know, there's, there's kind of a cliche saying that everything happens for a reason. And I think that gets That gets a little challenging when you start to really look at it and say, okay, well, did God want this to happen? Did God make this happen? Um, And I would say, no, that's not what I believe. I don't believe God wanted this to happen. I don't think he likes to see any of his children in pain, Um, but I know we live in a fallen world and sometimes things happen because people make bad decisions and people sin and sometimes bad things just happen. Um, But I also know that God can use all things for the good of those who love him. And that doesn't mean that he makes all things happen, but he can turn around what was meant for evil and he can use it for his glory. Um, One of the stories that I've always loved in the Bible is the book of Esther. You know, and Esther was um, somebody that came from a a broken and, and hurting background. You know, she was an orphan and she was kind of adopted by her cousin. And through really no actions of her own, she became queen of her kingdom um, and an advisor to the king kind of wanted to kill all the Jews, and Esther was a Jew, as was her cousin. And uh, her cousin came to her and said, hey, you need to do something. You're the queen. You, you can help. Uh, and she at first was a little hesitant, probably a little scared. You know, I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. Um, but her cousin said, no, you know, what if God put you here for a reason? What if he had a plan and a purpose? And he said in Esther 4.14, which is kind of one of my favorite verses, and who knows, but that you've come to royal position for such a time as this. You know, Esther had no idea why she was made queen. You know, she was just kind of a nobody. Um, but what if, what if God had a plan and a purpose and he put her right in that spot so that she could be there in that moment to save her people? And you know, in my story, um, it, comes, <laughs> it comes a little differently um, and something maybe people feel is a little bit frivolous, but it comes from the pageant. Um, so four days after the attack, um, I competed in the local pageant that I had been preparing to compete in. And looking back, that seems kind of a, a little silly and a little nutty, and, um, but it was a conscious decision. It was a conscious decision to say, my God is bigger than this man. And my God is bigger than what just happened to me. And I don't want to let this man hold any more power over my life than he already has. And it wasn't like I magically recovered in four days, but it was kind of a statement to say, I'm going to move forward somehow. I don't know how, but I will. And uh, I won that pageant. (laughs) And I, I, I truly believe that it was because of the grace of God. And Um, After that, I decided to make Rape Awareness and Recovery my personal community service platform, um, kind of a project that all the contestants have to have. And so I started speaking about my experience and started spreading the word. And um, the following year, I won the title of Miss Arizona. And again, that might might seem kind of frivolous and shallow, but what it did is it opened up doors, God opened up doors for me to go around the country and the state and speak to everybody who would listen and share my story, which is really the story of what Jesus did in my life. So I was able to go into places that you might not be able to otherwise. Obviously I would go into churches, but then schools and uh, civic groups and community groups. And I would even go into prisons and talk to the inmates um, about my story and and the impact that not only the attack had, but what Jesus had done through the attack. And it was just such an incredible um, example of what I think is God's purpose and plan for that moment in my life, he was able to take this terrible event and turn it around and, and use it for his glory um, and I know that was that was obviously quite some time ago, but it gives me it gives me hope and it gives me um, the belief that everybody still has a purpose and a plan
0: so it is some time it's fifteen years <laughs> ago, right uh, and yet it is a hinge point in your life like it it, it changed some things as you look back fifteen years now. How would you say with the light of day today, you could look back and say, well, this is how it's formed me. This is the impact that it's had on on my life and my soul?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a different person, you know, um than than I was the night before the attack. I, I, I changed. Um and I think that's okay. You know, people ask me a lot of the time. Well, how did you how do you get over something like this? And I always tell them, you don't. You don't get over something like this. You get through it, and you get through it with Jesus. And sometimes you come out different on the other side. Um, you know, it's it's been 15 years, but I still live with with ramifications of the attack. And I don't pretend to be perfect. Um, I struggle with fear and anxiety. And, um, you know, with my husband being gone half the time, um, you know, obviously we have a Fort Knox security system, but I still have to triple check the locks before I go to bed at night. Um, and it's, it's a struggle, but I look at the, the opportunity that it gives me to put my trust and my faith in Jesus, because I can't overcome the fear and the anxiety by myself. Um, but I can rest in him. And so it just gives me this continual opportunity to rely on him and uh, to challenge my faith and to really grow my faith. And then also, you know, having three little boys, um, you know, needing to instill in them, hey, we don't, we don't have a spirit of fear. You know, we, we live courageously because of our, our hope and our faith in Jesus. And I know, you know, there's going to be future challenges in life. You know, this wasn't necessarily my one challenge. You know, there's everybody has trials and uh, everybody has troubles in this life. Um, but I know, again, that ultimately Jesus is going to be there with me through all of them.
0: So I know there's no comparison uh, between what you experienced 15 years ago and, you know, what has happened in your life since then to the current situation with this pandemic that's swept the world and uh, and yet maybe there is some comparison in that there's a lot of fear and there's uncertainty and uh, it feels like trauma to some people. It's it's more than just uh, in a, an immediate kind of thing. It's gone on for weeks and there's uncertainty for the future and there's a sense of trauma. If you were to make some comparisons, maybe as unfair as it is, how would you compare that to what people are experiencing.
1: Yeah. Today. I mean, honestly, I don't I don't think it's unfair. And I think every time I, I share my story, you know, I tell people, I I don't wish what happened to me upon anybody, but we know that everybody is going to face challenges in their lives. And we're we're all going through one together. Um, and this right now, this is impacting everybody differently. You know, some people it might might be a minor bump in the road and some people it's gonna it's gonna shake up their whole life. Um, and what I would say is just Again, we might not understand why we're going through this, and we might not understand why we come out where we do and the way we do on the other side. Um, but ultimately we can rest in the fact that God is in control and God has a purpose and a plan and our faith and our hope in Christ will get us through. And, you know, one of the verses again that that's always kind of given me comfort and peace is John 1633. And Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, not if you're lucky, you won't have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and we can know right now in this moment when we can't see clearly the way it's going to turn out on the other side, and we don't know why it's going the way it's going. Jesus has overcome the world.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. If you flip the page to the next chapter of chapter 17 of John uh, it's Jesus now speaking, and he turns to his father, it says, and he says, the hour has now come. So he's just said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And I think he had in his mind already, I think I know the trouble I'm talking about. My own sacrificial death on a cross for the sake of people. So that people who do evil, terrible things like have happened to you, that they too, as amazing as it is, could find through his sacrificial death, hope for their own lives. And I would agree with you, I hope that justice prevails. and It it will ultimately, because God never forgets, right? But it's also a reminder, your story of the redemption that Jesus does bring. You're a marvelous example of that. I watch you interact with Justin and your kids, and now that we kind of work as colleagues here as well. Uh, You're a remarkable mom, but this story uh though it has shaped and molded you unquestionably in some ways you are just a remarkable example of what just just trusting just leaning without some answers on jesus can do in the human heart and so thank you for like telling your story it's deeply personal appreciate that you would share that with us in this way Thank you. and uh have a great mother's day
1: thank you so much yeah